Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments today, but I would like to welcome you back to JBL. And during our last program, the 1984 Women's Panel began discussing Book 2 of George Orwell's classic novel, 1984. Now, we discussed some general insights into all the characters of Winston, Julia, and O'Brien. Now, for today's program, I would like to jump right back into our discussion of Book 2. So, back with me is my lovely wife and partner in literature, Deborah. Hi, thanks for be- letting me be here. <laughs> Welcome back. And, and also, one of my top literature students, Miss Emma Moore, is also back with me. Hello again. Thanks for coming, Emma. She uh, uh, took her away from her busy schedule. And uh, uh, she's actually working in our art department for our magazines right now. And so uh, we were able to steal her away for an hour or so, so that's great. I thought it might be good that we begin our discussion today on the different approach to the party's doctrine and operation between Winston and Julia. I think think that really does reveal a lot about their personalities. And... uh, for both being outer party members, there's a vast difference in them. And I also, I, I think, um, I think there's, we can bring a lot of uh, maybe current events into this as well because um, there is really a lot of relevance to what we see happening in our world today, especially with all the destruction going on, um, uh, in uh, especially getting rid of the history of America, all these historical statues are being you know ripped down and honestly by young people that don't even know their history and uh, that's i think where julia comes in the most because um she really doesn't like history but i I do think one of the things that, that i like to say maybe to start this out is is winston smith is very concerned about history and it's kind of ironic because his job is to rewrite current events to match with the past current events that have already been written and I think it was, I think either James or Grant in one of our first programs that said that the the, the irony of that is uh, he could do that because he believed the past was already lies anyway. And so essentially, I think Winston Smith really hungers for the truth, even though he writes lies all the time. And so, so, uh, but I think, uh, I think Winston really hungered to know the truth. And, and I think one of the uh, the ways that he, he shows that in the book is, um, of course, uh, in our last program, Emma brought up the fact that, that uh, you know, he was afraid of Julia. He thought she was part of this, you know, the, the uh, thought police. You know, he, he actually had some pretty violent thoughts about her. He was so afraid of her, he wanted to murder her. You know, he wanted to get rid of her. You know, and then, then she drops the, the love note. And then he goes absolutely goo-goo-eyed like a 13-year-old. And, uh, you know, he's all, automatically he's in love. So, uh, but at one point in the book, she does ask him, um, uh, well, what, this, is, this is when they had their first clandestine meeting. Winston finally says to her, all he knew her by was 
the girl with the black hair. <laughs> you know, here they they worked in the same ministry, and that's the Ministry of Truth, which is all lies. She worked in the fiction department. He he worked in you know re reconstituting the truth, and uh, but they didn't even know each other. And he says to her, "What is your name?" said Winston, and she says, "Julia." She says, I know yours. It's Winston, Winston Smith. He says, how did you find that out? And she, she says, I expect I'm better at finding things out than you are, dear. Tell me, what did you think of me the day, that day I gave you the note? Now, here, here's the interesting quote. He did not feel any temptation to tell lies to her. It was even a sort of love offering to start off by telling the worst. He said, I hated the sight of you. He said, I wanted to murder you afterwards. Two weeks ago, I thought seriously of smashing your head with a cobblestone. If you really want to know, I imagine that you had something to do with the thought police. <laughs> so, so he's not afraid of the truth, is he? So, okay, now that's what I wanted to say. So, so no. <laughs> well, yeah, well, she, and she, she actually got a kick out of it. She thought, oh, boy, I really, I was, that was good. You know, good that you thought that of me. That mm-hmm. means that what I'm doing, you know, is working. Oh, yeah, yeah she I'm, was proud I'm, of herself. I'm good at I'm deceiving people. That's good, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think uh, uh, also the very next page over, in, in terms of she, she, does, she really cares less about the truth than he does. And uh, I think the great quote there is, that was on page 108 of my book, but she says, always yell at the crowd, that's what I say, it's the only way to be safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Go ahead, Emma. Yeah, she, it, yeah, just the way she acts, it shows she does not care what she says as long as she maintains the appearance of conformity to the crowd. And then as Winston gets to know her, he realizes that even in her personal convictions, when she is saying things that she believes without the fear of telescreens or people listening in, that she doesn't really care between the truth and what is lies. And there's even a quote in the book that where Winston's kind of just, you know, thinking out loud, and he mentions that she doesn't care about the different. The, she doesn't care about the difference, and it says the difference between truth and falsehood did not seem important to her, and that's kind of striking because you know Winston will tell the truth at all costs. He just has to know the stress is that when he says it and to who he says it to. Right. He's just right. got to keep it bottled up. Right. And the the thing is, I also think it's interesting that in that uh, uh, Orwell does say that that uh, she she didn't know any history other than about sixty years ago. She she's not a historian. She's she, she's not into history. And there's so many conservative commentators right now are saying, you know, these young people are pulling down these statues. They're pulling down George Washington. They're pulling down. Um, you know some of the even some of the saints from the southwest you know that these these go back really back to spain and the spanish and uh you know some of them have desecrated the statues of abolitionists thinking that they were slave owners and it's because they don't know their history yeah and they they someone said they they google the name later <laughs> to find out this history yeah you know, so yeah so so they're tearing Excuse it me. Really ma- it doesn't really matter who they're tearing down. Yeah, right. they're tearing down. They're tearing down statues, and then they go look it up later. Who did mm-hmm. they? Who did they tear down? And so, so uh, w- what impresses me about that is that 
I mean, Orwell had to sit down and plan out the book, and I know it, it took him you know, quite a while, and he, he also, he was totally by himself when he wrote this. His first wife had died. He was on this island in the Hebrides. It was like he was at the end of the island. There was no one around him, so all he had was he had this time to think. And uh, he, he's got that in there. And how prescient is that, that here it's the youth that are they, they really want to destroy the history of America. But it's not only America, they want to destroy the history in Britain. And and I know other world leaders are wondering, okay, is this going to come to my country? That they're they're really beginning to think that because, you know, there is this intercommunication because of the internet. And so so I, I do think it's it's uh it's really amazing there that you wonder how do these two even connect? I mean, she's the one that approached him and said, I love you. But she obviously didn't know him very well because she could care less with history. So, One of the interesting things is before they even interact and when he gets that note and after that he's kind of processing it, Winston is kind of in love with the concept of Julia. He doesn't know her personally, but he adores the idea that there's someone out there that also doesn't agree with party teachings. Like his whole life he's been interacting with people who just go along with the crowd. Even his wife, he knows Catherine would dob him in the second that she found out that he was, you know, thinking these thoughts. He describes her as good thinkful in um, that term. But he loves the idea that there's someone out there that's willing to rebel as well. And even though he realizes in the end that she's just rebelling for the fun of it and he is actually looking for something greater to be part of a bigger cause like the Brotherhood, there's still that connection where they're both rebelling. But he loves the idea. And even when, you know, they're having that affair, he loves her because she's she says, yes, I've had more affairs. I've done this plenty of times, you know. And he, he likes that because he's like, yes, there is corruption in the party and that means that it can't sustain like it will eventually topple if it's not functioning the way that they say it is. Right. He even says, I wish you did it with thousands of them mm-hmm. because we could destroy the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I, I think it's interesting, Emma, that he does bring out the whole time he and, you know, Catherine was really, his wife, Catherine was really into the party. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about that in the book, Orwell talks about the fact that the party, the only value to marriage was to produce children for the party. And if there was no children, there'd be no marriage, which really sounds a lot like the Catholic Church as well. You know, your, your Catholic families are usually large because they're to produce more children for the Catholic Church. But, but the, the, the point that's, that's really interesting is he, he talks to Julia about Catherine. And if you remember early on, he says, I'm 39 and I have a wife I'd like to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you know, he, I, I guess they were they were out walking one day on one of these community hikes, and they come to this cliff, and and he knows that their marriage is falling apart. He knows they they can't produce a child, and he knows that she wants to separate. And uh, he said, "I thought of you know knocking her off the cliff," and and Julia says, "Well, why didn't you?" <laughs> you know, why didn't you just that? That's the way Julia thinks, you know. And then he says, well, it's it's not always convenient to knock someone off just because they don't feel the same way you do. So, so I think that gets back to what I said in the last program 
is that he did have a certain amount of feeling and he had a certain amount of moral sense about him. Yes, he had a moral sense and her moral sense was was really just whatever is good for her. That's basically. right. Yeah. You're right. That's right. And until they get into, and we're not even there yet, but I think by the end of this program we'll get there where, where they make their pledge to O'Brien. Mm-hmm. You know, they're willing to spread disease. You know, they're willing to do all these things. So, so one thing I wanted to say is kind of I think it's kind of funny, ironic. I mean, it's ironic that he he's really interested in history and he has to rewrite history. Well, it's ironic that her job is to write fiction, <laughs> but right. it's but it's writing. She doesn't care about reading. She says, I don't care much for reading, but it's basically she's they have these machines that automatically make different kinds of stories. And so she just runs the machines. But yeah. it's kind of funny. She's writing books. She's she's helping with books, but she doesn't really care much for reading. Yeah, she so. says, I'm not a literary person. No. That's <laughs> funny. So, so we'd not, we would not have Julia here with us <laughs> today talking about 1984. Okay. I, I, I think it's, um, again, I think um, when we talk about them in relation to the party, um, I, th- I think he was really skilled. Winston was really skilled at hiding his thoughts and his feelings. I think she was really skilled on how to get around surveillance. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she knew how to get around. And I think one of the one of the most interesting things, and and you, it's it's easy to miss, but as um, you know, again, he he knew how to avoid telescreens, and and you know, they knew how to look out for things. And they would go for these walks, and they would walk separately, and uh, they would talk, but they they only knew where they could talk. So so they would have, uh, she called it talking in installments. <laughs> I think I think that's that, that was a fascinating uh, kind of a comment. And here, this is on uh, for my book. It's on the bottom of page one thirteen. It goes on to say, as they drifted down the crowded pavements, not quite abreast, and never looking at one another. They carried on a curious, intermittent conversation which flicked on and off like the beams of a lighthouse, suddenly nipped into silence by the approach of a party uniform or the proximity of a telescreen, and then taking up again minutes later in the middle of a sentence, then abruptly cut short as they parted at the agreed spot, then continued almost without introduction on the following day. Julia appeared to be quite used to this kind of conversation, which she called talking by installments. <laughs> so, so can you imagine the effort and the energy that mm-hmm. would take to have a conversation mm-hmm. like that? So it's interesting that, for people to think about the fact that in this world that, that Orwell created, that you couldn't just have a regular conversation. The only conversations could be what's appropriate to the party, what the party says is appropriate. So you, you couldn't talk about feelings. Um, you know, you had to just talk about exactly like maybe the the uh, two minutes of hate that are coming up ahead of time or, you know, something like that. But you couldn't, you know, you just couldn't do normal talking. So, mm-hmm. it's in, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about that. And, and the, the reason that they did that is they wanted people to only be connected to the party, not to anybody else. Their, their emotions, that's why you couldn't have any kind of emotional connection to anyone because the emotions were supposed to be directed to the party and to Big Brother. Right. And, and like uh, uh, the relationship between the husband and wife... I mean, we know that God created sex for a good purpose. And, of course, you know, mankind has gotten a hold of it and besmirched it and, you know, made it filthy. And, and uh, But after God created 
Adam and Eve, he said it's very good. So, so God saw a high purpose behind it all. But, um, you know, we know that God created sex to cement a couple together. And yet they didn't have that. And uh, he certainly didn't have that in his marriage with Catherine because it would have been more powerful than his love for the party. And so by the time we get to the end of the book, that's what they want to make sure they destroyed is, you know, the love that they would have had for each other. You know, they have to have that destroyed because that's a strong power. So, so and I, I think it, one of the things that we could say is, uh, you know, Winston kind of always had this fatalist view and uh, she did not have that. She, she was not a fatalist in the sense that, that um, uh, he, at one point in the book, this is around oh, page 120, he says, we're all dead. <laughs> what does Julia say? We're not dead yet. We're not dead yet. <laughs> in other words, let's get on with this. There's more life to live. And so, so um, you know, she, she would be, I, I think she would have been a vivacious person. And, and I think for, for all of his intellectualism, I could see why he'd be attracted to her. You know, because it would give him. Uh, it seemed like he would be worn out pretty quickly. It seemed like he would, his energy, his energy was all mental, and it could be diffused really fast. But she would kind of, you know, give him kind of a jolt. And I think even Orwell says that about her that that she could energize him. You know, and so, so uh, anyway, I think it's also interesting that for a while she worked in the porno section of the fiction department. <laughs> And it's, they said that the only reason why they had only women could work in the porno section department because men couldn't control themselves and, and they, women could. And they weren't even married women. They had to be young, pure, virgin, you know, yeah. supposedly, you yeah. know, pure, pure in heart. That had you know. no experience. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And that's where she says, I'm not literary, dear. <laughs> not even enough for that. <laughs> Meaning for porno. She, was, she wasn't even interested in reading about porn. So, uh, so anyway, um, what about... Maybe uh, since we're on Julia and Winston, maybe we ought to talk about Mr. Charrington's room a little bit. What do you think? Well, that was very interesting that it came up that they could have a, a place they could go. It's like you kind of wonder, uh, is this really possible that they could have a, a secret place? But, I was suspicious the whole yes, time. Yes, the whole time. I know I was too. <laughs> hey, when's it going to happen? But the thing was, is, is, um, is like Winston was attracted to this antique store and because it had old things in it and mr charrington was just so nice and it just showed them the room it just it just seemed so nice but um it but it but it was just like giving them a sense of of normalcy of the way it used to be and they you know really enjoyed that, and that that's where the paperweight really comes in mm-hmm. and that why he loved the paperweight is because it was there was no utility to it it was just beautiful and you know, he liked old things because they reminded him of what the, you know, the golden times or this, you know, his past, his childhood, and so, so, do you remember the one scene um, where they're looking at this picture on the wall and she sees dirt on it, and she says, "Oh, I need to clean that sometime," but she never does. And if she had done that, what would have happened? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> they would have discovered the yes, telescope. Yeah. Right, yes, that's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so you see, O'Brien, mm-hmm. I, I just made this connection getting kind of getting these outlines ready for today's program. 
O'Brien is behind the telescreen watching everything. Mm-hmm. You know, now Charrington's obviously the iron voice, I mm-hmm. think. Yes. But still, everything that they talk about at, at Charrington's is being watched. And they think they're alone. They're not alone. Yeah, it's terrible. Yes. <laughs> and it, you, you feel like it was a total setup. You feel yeah. like it was a total setup for Winston. But, yeah. You know. Even the pro wife, mm-hmm. I think, is a setup. And she's singing. She's singing these songs. We know that Charrington was a setup, that he yes. was actually mm-hmm. a young man. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, he was all, um, had all this makeup on to make him look older. And he hunched himself over and, and uh, you know, but, but uh, one thing about this book has made me more suspicious of people now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, man, we need to get on to some other book. <laughs> so, but anyway, go ahead. Anybody else there? Um, I think, the one thing with Mr. Charrington, the fact that as a reader you don't realize is that Winston describes him kind of as an accomplice in a sense. It's he's he describes him as extinct, and the fact that you know he's just here caring for these little trinkets, these pieces of history that Winston likes because it's not records that they can change. He's in this job changing words in essays and documents, but these tangible objects like that glass paperweight, they can't be changed. And so I think that's why he treasures them because, you know, the party can't get to that unless they just, you know, destroy all of that. Right, which is what is the first mm-hmm. thing Charrington does when he comes mm-hmm. into the room. He mm-hmm. smashes that paperweight. He smashes the paperweight, mm-hmm. you know. So, so uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, like I said, when you, when you dissect the book into the sections... I mean, it really took a lot of planning on Orwell's part to put this together. You just don't sit down and write this in one day. And and it took him a year, I think. I, th- I think he, if I remember correctly, he thought about it for a year, and then it took him about a year to write it. And so, so but but he really knew a lot about socialism. And uh, I think in the next, next few programs, we're going to talk more specifically about the book. So, uh, and I'm talking about the whole thing with Goldstein. Now, one thing that I think is is really good about Julia for um, Winston is I think he actually believed the Brotherhood existed. I think he believed that Goldstein existed. And I think he even believed that the wars were going on. But then we find out none of it's happening. Mm -hmm. Goldstein didn't exist. The Brotherhood doesn't exist. And um, the wars are really not going on. And it's all there to to keep the what the people in terror mm-hmm. and and that's where uh, you know a lot of the commentators you know the conservative commentators today are saying why are you kneeling down to this absolutely Marxist movement I mean um, we, we know if you go to the Black Lives Matters website yourself you can see they were trained Marxists you can see they want to destroy this, the nuclear family. You can see they want to promote homosexuality and lesbianism. You can see what their goals are. It's not about George Floyd. It's about building a revolution, tear down all the history, destroy it, and then, then you know, terrorize people, really terrorize people. And, uh, you know, I know uh, last night they tried to set up another... Uh, zone where they took over in Washington, right near that St. John's Episcopal Church. They were going to make that a zone, 
and the the federal government sent in the police right away today and they they got rid of it now the lady in seattle saying she's going to get rid of it she hasn't done anything yet and people are being murdered there and the the residents live there are terrified and so that's how these people get power and uh the the thing is i i think um julia wasn't terrified of the power but i think winston was yeah i think one thing too is that was kind of interesting because julia doesn't care for history like we've discussed but there's a part in the book that said um she was also less susceptible to party propaganda than he was so i thought that was really interesting because the thought when they're discussing that in private the thought that their war isn't even going on hasn't even occurred to him and he's in that like in that um, place all day looking at the news and you know and then we do find out later in the book when they're going through that book um, that you know the war was just invented to eat up um, resources and to keep that emotional fervor right. of the people up right right so it's it's a uh, it's, it's really kind of shocking all right we have a few minutes left let's let's talk about um o'brien now i mean i i i just think he is so smooth at being an inner party member. I mean, I was shocked when I first read that when they, first of all, they go see him and then he plays them from the minute they get there. I mean, he's wanted this. He's been watching Winston Smith for seven years. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the thing is, he's the one that actually, if if you think about it, because he's watching through the telescreen, Remember, Julia passes him a note, and then he's he's praising him for writing so well with Newspeak that he says, hey, if you ever want to talk to me, here's my address. He's already heard them say, I mean, it was actually in the book where they said, you know what, we just need to go and talk to O'Brien and get this over with. He heard that, and so what does he do? Sets him up, gives him the address. Because inter-party members never gave out their addresses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you would think that Julia would have caught that. <laughs> that's yeah. right. I, that's why I was a little surprised that she went. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but mm-hmm. she didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't catch it. So, mm-hmm. so he's really smooth. Um, you know, the the thing is, even he tells them. He said, "Why did you two come together?" I mean, he's acting like he's on their side. He wanted them to come together. Go ahead, go ahead, Emma. And also the fact that not just the note, but he also alludes to Syme, the the mm-hmm. party member that was, you know, unpersoned or just, you know, yeah, evaporated. Ar- evaporated, vaporized. Yeah. yeah, he he refers to him, you know, a friend whose name escapes my memory. And through that, Winston's like, oh, this is collusion. That's a sign, you know, yeah. that he's trying to do that. But the one thing that stood out to me. This is the second time I've read it as well, so you know, you know the ending. Is the fact that he directly quotes Winston in that meeting, yeah. unprompted. He says, "We are the dead," and Winston says that in a private meeting with Julia, right, right, prior. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And the second time I read that, I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, what's a shame is that you can see Winston's innocence. He thinks they're together, but he's not. He doesn't realize he's being played. They're not together. Mm-hmm. And I know even as kids, sometimes that does happen between kids. You know, there. Were, I remember growing up, there's sometimes kids will play like they're your friend and then 
you hear them with someone else saying, oh, wasn't that stupid? Look at what he did there, you know? So, so in some ways, I think that's, um, that's, that's really interesting. And then he makes sure they get the book. We find out that Julia is totally bored with it. Yeah, she falls asleep. When he's she reading. falls asleep when he's reading the book. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this is just revealing. She could care less. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they begin to talk with each other that, you know, confession... Uh, you know, they talk about confessing, they talk about betrayal. And uh, remember, there's that one line that Julia says, you know, he said, they can get inside you. And she says, no, they can't get inside you. And unfortunately, they both have to learn they can, mm-hmm. you know. So so anyway, uh, we'll just end here. We, uh, for all those out there listening, they, they do get caught at Carrington's. And uh, Winston is Winston is just blown away that O'Brien has been behind it all. So, so he knows his gig is up. That's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we will move on to book three of the world's famous classic 1984 by George Orwell. Now, for our next several programs, we'll bring back our men's panel back to the studio, and we may invite some of the women back for that panel. as We'll see how many mics we can get in this room. So this first selection of our summer series has some eye-opening instruction as to what is happening right now in our Western world governments and also on your nightly news. You can buy 1984 at Amazon.com. You can find a used copy of the book at abebooks.com. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. Now, we will be beefing up those the, the Twitter site and the Facebook site. I'm without an assistant for the next couple of weeks because we have summer camp coming up. So I have to go solo and trying to get some of those things up. So uh, keep checking in on those two sources. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.